Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty cool town. You know, it may seem kind of backwoods to you. There's not a lot of people named Bubba like you might think. It's actually pretty metropolitan there. Um, there are a few Bubba, but uh, mostly, you know, Jason, Joe's, people like that. It's, it's a pretty cool place. Um, but we want to bring you greetings from there. Uh, uh, we are uh, very excited. We've had a good year this year. The reason you might think, what are you doing here, Mr. Jason from Oklahoma City? Well, I'm actually here today to preach to you, but that's not the main reason. The main reason I'm here is to do a wedding for uh, Neil Simmons and Savannah Reyes today. So, uh, amen. Yeah. Um, many of you that know Savannah would probably think, man, I didn't think she was going to marry anybody because her standards are pretty high. But she, uh, she decided on Neil. Neil's cool. I like Neil. Neil's dad's here today, so I got to say good things about Neil. But uh, I did their pre-marriage counseling, so I get a little bit of ribbing in there, you know. But... Uh, But it's great to be here today. You know, I wanted to start off here with a question. And my question is, what are your goals regarding your relationship with God? Now, hopefully you have some goals in your relationship with God. Hopefully you have some things that you are thinking about, wow, I'd want to improve in. But nearly every goal you would think of, if you asked any Christian, you said, what are your goals in regards to God, what the, in your relationship with God, most of them would say something that has to do with being closer to God, right? Now, being closer to God is somewhat subjective. What makes one, I love that song. And some other songs may be like, we're singing that one again? Some things bring you closer to God, some things maybe not so much. But all of us have a goal to be closer to God. In just a few moments, I'm going to propose one statement. It's funny that uh, they're going to start a one word next week, so I'm going to start a little bit higher up with one statement that I think will guarantee to make the rest of your Christian life better. Something's wrong. I keep hearing a boom, so that's probably my jaw or something. Might have TMJ or something like that. Is it on there okay? Feels like it's going to fall off. Did you get that bass sound there? All right. Are we good now? Okay. If it keeps doing that, just ignore it. I guess. I don't know. All right. So let's talk about this one statement here in a few moments, all right? So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to go there here in just a second, but we all have access to an incredible power. Did you know that? A power that changes lives. A power that can move mountains. A power that can make such an impact on your life and others' lives, that it can change the course of destinies. That power is the power of prayer. The problem with prayer, though, is this. It's become marginalized. It's become cliche. It's become a little bit of a write-off. I mean, think about it, Christian. Whenever you get into situations, this thing is like freaking people out here. Satan wants you to hear this today, okay? Because this is, there's all kinds of technological demons floating around today. Satan does not want you to hear this lesson, so key in, all right? Should we just go to the mic right up here? Let's do that. Somebody want to come up here and take this thing off of me? Because this thing is something else, I'm telling you. That's all right. Things happen, right? Oh, look, I'm trapped, see? 
Never do anything like that without your sound guy, right? They tell you this all the time. Don't touch the microphones. Of course, so what do I do? Touch the microphone. All right. So we're going to go right here. Now, I want to I ask for your forgiveness right off the bat, because it's hard for me to stand still, if you probably noticed already. So. But I want to tell you a little bit about prayers. we get back to this. Prayers become marginalized and cliche. I mean, think about it, Christian. What do you tell people when you're in an awkward situation with them? You're talking to another brother or sister, and it feels a little awkward, and you're not sure what to say. What do you say? I'll pray for you, right? But prayer should be the most important thing you ever do for somebody. It shouldn't be a blow-off, or I don't know what else to say. But instead, the most important thing you could ever do for someone. Because I tell you what's happening, brothers and sisters. There's a troubling spiritual disease that's going on right now. That's a big part of the equation. And that disease is apathy. Apathy has hardened the hearts of even the most fervent and zealous. Those who were once prayer warriors among us have now started praying as if they were reciting a daily affirmation instead of realizing that when they pray, they're calling on the power of the Almighty. The disease of apathy, the marginalization of prayer is killing our spiritual lives. It's causing us to miss out on miracles. It's causing us to forget how amazing prayer is. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that should be wedged into our lives. It's not something that should be done with little thought and rambling repetition. Prayer is a way to tap into the power of the living God. It is an antidote to apathy. And it's the path to getting closer to God. As we break through this disease of apathy and lift up our voices in prayer, our hearts become more engaged. Our eyes open up a little bit wider. We start to know what the Spirit is prompting us to do. We're not afraid to have those difficult conversations. We're no longer afraid to share our faith because we've been connected with the Almighty. In essence, when we're in these prayers, when we're focused on God the way we should be, we're reminded of an incredible spiritual fact. And it's the statement that will move you today. The statement that's the title of my lesson. That's he can and he will. I've spent the majority of my Bible reading time this year in the Gospels. And what I've noticed is that Every time somebody approaches Jesus, it's much like what it is when we pray. They're coming with requests. They're coming with needs. And it's just like us when we pray. And I think if you go through the Gospels and you start looking at those encounters that way, it starts to shape things a little bit differently. It starts to help us to connect with those people because that's who we are. We're the lepers. We're the people that are caught in sin. We're the people that were distant and need Jesus. Those people are us. And what we start to see when we see that, it changes everything. Check this out. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. 
while he was sit, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, "My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live." Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Jump down to verse twenty-three. It says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is, but they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. In this passage, we see an amazing prayer. The synagogue leader. Think about this for a second. The synagogue leader goes and kneels before Jesus. You don't kneel before just anybody. You kneel before kings and you kneel before lords. And this synagogue leader, one of the religious Leaders comes and kneels before Jesus. What a powerful statement. And he inquires of Jesus to heal his daughter. Listen to what Jairus, the synagogue leader, says. Put your hand on her and she will live. What kind of faith must this man have had to be able to say that? This is the synagogue leader. This is someone who had a lot of pressure to probably speak against Jesus. But instead, he says, put your hand on her, Jesus, because I know how powerful you are, and she will live. This, brothers and sisters, is the kind of faith we need to have in prayer. It's bold, and it's audacious. It's Jesus I know you have the power, so I'm going to ask you to do this. Not, I don't know if you can. Not, I sure hope you would. But Jesus, do this because you can. When is the last time, brother and sister, you prayed a bold, faithful prayer like that? One that made Jesus sit up and take notice. The Bible says that the Spirit is roaming back and forth over the earth looking for someone faithful. You know what I think he's looking for? I think he's looking for someone who will stand up in prayer and say, Jesus, you can do it. I think he's looking for someone who will stand up in prayer and say, God, do this on behalf of the people. I think he's looking for someone who's bold and audacious and almost doesn't know their place. Some of us, we want to be so reverent, which is good. I'm not saying we should be irreverent. But sometimes we're so mouthy in prayer that we're not moving anybody. Sometimes we're saying the same things over and over again, and we're not moving nobody. You could sit there and say the same thing every day. God, please protect my family. Please, God, thank you so much for being such an awesome father. You can say those things, and that's good. Okay, that's better than nothing. But I think what Jesus, what God, what the Spirit are waiting for is someone to say, God, move on our behalf. Do something amazing that blows our doors off. I've never once prayed that and God said, nah. 
What's he want to do? He wants to be glorified, right? He wants people to be drawn towards him. So why wouldn't he answer those prayers? Amen. Saturday, May 18th, 2013. We had just moved two months previous to Dell City, Oklahoma, which is a section of the OKC Metro that, uh, you know, we were living in a rental house there. And Rachel and I had gotten advice from the previous leaders of the church there to move to Moore, Oklahoma, they said. They said, this is the best place to live. It's close to campus. It's close to a lot of people. Great place to live. And I didn't know this yet, but Moore, Oklahoma tends to get hit by tornadoes. Often. If you go out and look up one of the maps, it goes through there every time. But Rachel and I went into Moore on that Saturday and we had some bold, audacious prayers. We prayed that you might see that picture there and that school right there in front of that massive tornado is Southmore High School, a fairly new high school. And Rachel and I drove to that point exactly there, or roughly there, in our car, and we prayed. We said, God, open doors here in Moore, Oklahoma. Move powerfully in people's hearts. Open this community's heart up to you. On May 20th, two days later, two schools and multiple homes and businesses were hit by an F5 tornado. The community was brought to its knees, but doors were opened. I don't think our prayer made a tornado come, but I think God used it to open up people's hearts. Our little church at the time, 65 members, got to join with Hope Disaster Services and did some amazing work there. Many of you came down and helped. We were there for a month providing services for people, cleaning out houses that were destroyed, meeting people. God did amazing things through that. He used a disaster to do great things, and I do believe he answered our bold and audacious prayers. Brothers and sisters, what are you going to ask for? What are you going to ask for? Some of us ask for new jobs. We ask for a new place to live. But how often are our prayers on a kingdom level? God, do great things for the kingdom. Do great things for the people. Move their hearts to be closer to you. What dream, what kingdom dream is on your heart? What prayer is in your soul? What request burns within you? Why not ask the one who can make it happen? Please don't misconstrue this. This isn't about me. When I've shared this before, people have come up and say, I got a prayer list for you. Because God must be listening to you. It ain't about me. It's about God. I asked, he answered. It's not the asker that should get any credit, but he who has the power to answer. And if you ask boldly and audaciously, he can and he will. Matthew 9, pick back up in verse 27. As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. 
When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the word throughout the region. The two blind men are bold in their prayer. But more than that, they're relentless. I want you to think about this story for a second. He says, they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus doesn't walk over to him then. Instead, he goes behind doors, inside. That's kind of mean to a blind person, isn't it? Goes behind doors. But they go and find him. They go and find where Jesus was. They're relentless. They go after him and then Jesus has two statements or one statement and one question that I think are at the heart of every bold and relentless prayer. The question is, do you believe that I'm able to do this? The answer is, of course he can. According to your faith, the statement says, it will be done for you. He will. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, Christian. This is where we get tested. We all believe that God can do anything, don't we? He can do whatever he wants. If he wanted to vaporize this auditorium right now, he could. If he wanted to pull us all up into heaven, he could. He wanted to provide food for everybody, he could. I guess even if he wanted the Cowboys to win, they could. It may just take that miracle, but he could. Go Steelers. But anyway... But anyway, it's a tough question. I had to wake you up. I know what wakes you guys up. Cowboys football wakes you up. The first question is, it's challenging. Can God do it? But we we know he can, right? The second thing, though, that second statement, do I have the faith that he will actually do it? And in particular, that it'll actually do it in my personal situation. That's where we get stuck. He can do it for Pierre. Apparently, Pierre's really righteous and about ready to get pulled up into heaven. He can do it for my wife, Rachel. You know, he can do it for Mark Mancy. He can do it for this brother over here, this sister over here. He can do it for them. But what about me? That's where we get stuck. But I want you to consider a few things here. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably more than we could ask for. Immeasurably more than we can imagine. According to his power. If it's according to his power and not mine, then he can do it for anybody, including you, Christian. But I know there's a few of you, the logical among us. So let me help you out a little bit, all right? John 5, or James chapter 5, 
And it's up on the screen. You can stay in Matthew 9. We'll come back there. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Elijah, it said, was a human being like us. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. An amazing prayer. But I've shared this with people. I said, hey, we're human beings like Elijah, right? And you know what they've said? Yeah, but I'm not righteous. That's what the logical people will say. Yeah, but I'm not righteous. You see, brother, great scripture. But me and Elijah, we're not, I'm not as spiritual as he was. Well, guess what? Yes, you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For those logical people like Philip Popham, one of my good friends, had to call him out. Where is he? There you are, Philip. This is for you, bro. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I hope he doesn't put something in my taco salad that we have for lunch. Um, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Whoa, wait a second. If you, if you were you repented, you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you became this new creation, you're the righteousness of God. Therefore, you are righteous. Therefore, your prayers are powerful and effective. You're welcome very much. Amen? Aren't you excited to know that? Aren't you excited to know that your prayers can be powerful and effective? That yes, even you, you whose faith seems is there something smaller than the mustard seed? You feel like that sometimes. Your prayer could still be powerful and effective. You who have been a disciple for a long time. Though you who just came out of the water last week. Your prayers can be powerful and effective. Not because of you, but because of the power that's in you. God's Holy Spirit rests in your heart. Therefore, you have a direct connection to God. Jesus died on the cross for you. His sin, his his. Blood cleansed your sin, therefore you are free. When you pray, it's powerful and effective. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Yet some of you don't believe me. You're looking at me like I got three heads. Maybe I look like I do. This has pads in it, like old school stuff, you know? It's kind of weird, but... Your prayers can be powerful and effective. You know what, though, sometimes, here's what messes us up. Sometimes it's not just that, hey, can God do it? Okay, he can. Will he do it for me? Okay, he will. But what about the timing of it all? Doesn't that trip us up? Man, God, I believed that you can answer this prayer by this date, and for some reason you didn't. What's the deal? I got another story for you. That is the University of Oklahoma. Isn't it beautiful? I have to do this. I'm sorry. Um, I'm making all kinds of enemies here today. It's okay. There's no divisions in Christ. Amen. Um, March of 1993. So I'd been a Christian for about three months. March of 93 and my campus ministry at Wichita State University on spring. Yep. WSU. What? What? We went out uh, 
we, we decided on spring break we were going to go to OU's campus, which for us is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And this is the, the church in Oklahoma was just starting to get planted there. And we went out and we shared our faith our entire spring break. We went out on campus of OU. Me and the guy I was with, we got over 100 phone numbers that week. We had a devotional on the Friday night, invited all these people, and we were so inspired when we got back to Wichita. We were like, being this brother Dave, we were like, we are going to go, we're going to go down to OU, we're going to get on the campus, we're going to share our faith, we're going to help them with that campus ministry. We had that youthful excitedness, right? So much so that we went and prayed, we took an all-night prayer walk around Wichita. Went and prayed all night. We're like, God, please act on our behalf. Went to our evangelist door, 6.30 in the morning. We'd been praying all night, walking around. Stopping at Quick Trip multiple times for cappuccinos, trying to stay awake. Knock on his door. Brother, here's what we want to do. And he says, Jason and Dave, just do that here, please. And we said, Amen. Good point. We hadn't been doing that here. Let's go to Wichita State. We were fired up. And it kind of honestly left our minds. It wasn't something that was really, after he said that, we just kind of forgot about it. It shows you how intent we were on it, right? But I wanted you to check out something. So that was March of 1993. In March of 2013... My wife and I were hired to lead the church in Oklahoma City and to be a part of starting a campus ministry at OU. 20 years later. What's my point? Your prayers never age out. And your timing isn't always God's timing. I was, I'd much rather have been a part of a planning at OU when I was 20 than when I was 40. But God knew I needed some more cooking. He needed, I needed to mature a little bit more. The reason why that evangelist said, brother, you need to do it here, because he knew it would have been spiritual suicide for me to go somewhere else. But God worked in a prayer 20 years later. Man. Are we faithful enough to pray through something until we get the answer? No matter how long it takes. I want you to think about this. Some of you are praying for your family members to become Christians. And you've been praying for a long time. Years and years. Guess what? You may have to pray years and years more. But won't it be better to have prayed for 30 years and have your family members become Christians than to have not prayed and not see it happen? Wouldn't it be better to have said, I prayed for this for 40 years and look what God did. That time won't matter when they get baptized. You'll just be fired up. It won't be like you're like, man, I wish he would have answered this 20 years ago. No, you won't. It was like God answered. And it's awesome. And those things you've been waiting for. For a while, you may have to wait a little bit longer. Because a big part of faith is waiting. But God doesn't forget your prayers. God never turns a deaf ear to those prayers. Those ones you're begging, you're single, you've been single for a while. God, give me a wife. Give me a husband. God hears you. It's just not time yet. 
Some of you have been trying to have kids. God, please, I want to have a kid. Maybe it's just not time yet. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it might not honestly get answered at all for some reason. I begged God for a boy. I said, God, give me a boy, and I got three girls. Praise Jesus, that's why I have no hair. But it's all right, I love those girls, and I wouldn't trade one of them in. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but there's a lot of times, if you're faithful and you just stay through that prayer, God will answer. Let's finish this up, because I think I went way too long. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. I'm in the spirit today. Jesus, Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he went to his disciples, or he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to bring to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you to consider this promise. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Guys, we just have to ask. We just have to ask. One of the greatest ways you can see your prayers answered is just pray under the promises of God. He says, ask me and I'll send out workers. So guess what? Ask. If one of the brothers stood up here and said, hey, whoever asked me for a million dollars, I'll give it to you. What would you do? You would ask, right? Jesus, God, the Spirit are saying, ask me for these things and I'll do it. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me for workers. Ask me for understanding. And he'll do it. If you're struggling in your prayers, ask for the things he's already promised. And he'll make them happen. Guys, we cannot forget what God is doing and what God has done. In Oklahoma City, we had 65 members when we moved there. And the church was having a hard time. It was struggling. People were having trouble with their faith. And Rachel and I, we decided all we can do is pray. So we prayed. We took old Bart Batterson, the the, uh, circle maker prayer. And we did 40 days. We said, God, we're just going to circle this church. We're going to pray for 40 days straight. Day in, day out, we're going to pray for this church. And guess what happened? As soon as we were done with the prayers, you know what happened? A bunch of people moved out of the church. I was like, what? That's not what we prayed for. A bunch of people, week after week, for four weeks, people come up and said, bro, i got to tell you, we're getting ready to move. I'm like, no, that's not what I prayed for. But guess what God did from that point forward? He took even that reduction. And now, right now, in our Oklahoma City Church, we have 93 members in our church. 93 members. Last year, 2016, we had 13 baptisms. They hadn't had that many baptisms in Oklahoma City since before the 2000s. That's God doing that. That wasn't us. That was God. God doing amazing things. God can do that for you. But you got to have some relentless, audacious 
bold prayers. You can't just sit there being apathetic anymore, brothers and sisters. You can't sit there and just be checked out in church service anymore. You can't just read your Bible as if you're reading some novel, but you're reading the Word of God. And when you're praying, you're praying to the God Almighty who created you and created this earth. And when you stand up and you say, God, do this on our behalf, God will do great things. Yes, even for you. Amen. Amen. God can and he will. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for being such a powerful father.